0: Welcome to Across the Pond Wargamers, a podcast dedicated to the wargaming hobby. And it looks like it's recording on my side. Recording on your side? Yep. Now I see the right hey. hey, we're live. And I haven't completely forgotten how to do this. Uh, well, hello, folks. This is uh, Gary and Colin again for Across the Pond Wargamers. Back after a long extended break. Uh Hopefully, we can uh, get these back on a regular track. No guarantees, but we're going to try. Um, tonight's show uh, is a little bit different in the fact that, one, we're taping at night when normally we used to tape early in the mornings uh, for the majority of our shows. And second of all, we don't have a guest. It's just going to be two, the two of us gassing on about uh, whatever we want to talk about. Uh, on that, we can start off with, well, hey, Colin, so Colin, what have you been working on? Oh, oh no. I, actually, no, I've been uh, keeping
1: myself busy uh, yeah. in between listening to different podcasts and uh, watching different videos out there about our great hobby. Um, I've stayed quite busy with just buying things, honestly. I haven't done <laughs> any painting or modeling. Uh, my career kind of taken a, a straight towards the busy side because I'm transitioning in between two right now. Um, but a few cool things I've bought is some people might remember this old model kit set made by Heller. But I went and gone out and bought a couple of Owlette 3s, which the Owlette 3 is the uh, the helicopter that the um, the Fire Force for Rhodesia turned into their G and K cars, which they used in very successful tactics to Employ against a few uh, militia groups backed by Chinese and Soviets. So, um, I'm going to take these very basic older models that were we'll probably manufactured in the 60s or 70s and uh, try and turn them into G and K cars. So, what's the difference between a G car and a K car? Honestly, without the material in front of me, I forget which one is which, but one has, I believe, 30 cal machines. Uh, twin 30 mount cow machine guns sitting out the side, and the other one is a command car. I believe it's the K car. I don't think it actually the K stands for command, but it, it may. Um, but that has a 20 millimeter gun on the left side of the helicopter, left side is if you're flying it. Um, but yeah, the commander would sit in the K car and there'd be at least three G cars in support. Three G cars would land um, around wherever the grilles were spotted and the K-car would have a radio inside of it and direct the, the troops that landed from the G-cars towards the target. And there'd also be, I believe, 20-some, like 20 paratroopers who would drop on the other side and it, they'd move in a straight solid line and sweep the area because a lot of that, um, the Rhodesian countryside that they'd be sweeping is very dense and thick. So you pretty much have to get in the firing line, almost like you're hunting quail, and push towards insurgents. So uh, yeah, I'm interested in just playing out those tactics and
0: seeing how I can work them, seeing how they've really worked in real life. The uh, Now, have you gotten any rules to go along with those?
1: Uh, a couple. So yeah. one for just blasting vehicles. It comes from uh, Peter Pig. Uh, is the AK 47? I know those rules are a lot of fun, especially the pregame role episode that you have there. And then I've also thought on Force on Force. They do have a Bush War supplement, which is uh, quite in depth and thorough, and I do like it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know I, I like Force on Force for the modern stuff, and you should do a lot of that uh, back in Jacksonville. Uh, really enjoyed that stuff. But the, uh, because now the figures you've been getting for the Bush Wars, are they mostly Peter Pig or or, GH, or not GHQ? Oh, who's the other one that you've been getting?
1: So yeah, I have been getting um, EQRF. GRF still has it. a great figure line. Um, they're not the newest and most modern, but I love their sculpts. Something about them just, it just drives me crazy. Um, their vehicles, some some aspects are a little older and the way you put them together, like it's not trendy with these new plastics that fit modularly, or like the new 3D prints, they don't fit together as well. But if you like some good old style heft in your figures, which I love, good old style heft, um, and QRS is definitely the way to go. You also have um, Command Decision, which is carried by Blue Moon and Old Glory, or, yeah, Old Glory, not Blue Moon. And uh, they have what? I think I can get $12 for a pack of 50 figures. That's insane for 12 or 15 that's, that's great. Oh my gosh. Yeah, if you get
0: an old glory membership, it's dangerous. <laughs> really dangerous. So it pays for itself pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So. And then I know Peter Pig
1: definitely has a great line of 15 milliliter.
0: Yeah. Well, I know they've always had good Bush war figures and that. And I've had some of their uh, mounted Rhodesians I've used for skirmishes in Nicaragua. Uh, but, you know, Jeff from QRF, I remember when we first met Jeff, uh, years ago, uh, and over there, and he just was a nice guy, just a nice guy. Very knowledgeable about, uh, some of the stuff that he was doing about the B-O-A-R, you know, British Army of the Rhine and, uh, B-A-R, B-A-O-R, not (laughs) B-O-R. Gotta forgive me, folks. It's, uh, uh, Coming up on 10 o'clock at night, my time. Um, I've also had a little bit of rum tonight and been pretty tired lately. So I may uh, may not get all my words right on this taping. Shameless excuses. No, yeah, I know. I just I I know. I'm an old fart. I'm allowed. So uh, anything else? How's, um, oh, there was something else you were working on too. I forgot.
1: I do know I've been working all on the um, 1808, 1809 Russian finish for the Finnish War that um, it. between Sweden and in Russia, um, I've been going very slowly, honestly. Yeah. I need, I know I need to create a bunch of birch trees, which uh, there's this page called the Ancients, and they show you how to make really quick birch trees by using uh, barbecue sticks. You cut them, put them on a base, and then you paint them, or you spray paint them white you put like a gray wash on top of it, and then you take clump foam and stick it on top. It's not the most detailed and previous, but it looks very effective. You could probably produce like a few hundred birch trees, which you need for Finland.
0: <laughs> so now that's 15 mil, right? Yep, it, or you can use it for any scale. Uh, yeah, but I mean, the day. figures you're doing are 15, right?
1: Yeah, um, doing that and uh, the winter warp. So that okay. way I can do finished terrain that lasts for over a hundred years have no issues with it
0: yeah we got some good things going on there i just wish i could say um i have done nothing i have uh, a couple weeks ago i pulled out some of my uh uh Baron's war figures and some of the plastics there and started to assemble but i think i got about what a dozen figures uh, maybe 18 figures built and that's it from the last year uh, that's my my whole produce, uh, range of production. I did start to inventory my GHQ though, um, the stuff that's still in packages and boxes and things like that to see just what I have. Um, I definitely have a very sizable convoy contingent of about roughly thirty different merchantmen from GHQ's Micronaut series. Um, so that's a lot of merchants out there. Uh, plus, I've got enough to do the Battle of the River Platte, the Battle of uh, the North Atlantic with the or the uh, Bismarck making the escape. Got all the ships for that, and that's just that's just the British box that I've opened up. You know, that had British and Germans in it, so I still have my other boxes to go through with everything else. So, starting to slowly but surely make make some headway on that. That's
1: uh, quite nice because you only need a few destroyers, maybe. Um in the teens with the merchantmen and a few U-boats, or maybe even uh, the turpets.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, they've it's got, got the, they've got the, one of the ships that, that's in the collection, there's the Altmark, which is a German merchant raider, um, which you know my scenario on that. In fact, and folks, um, to our listeners, we had the last show we taped never made it to air. Because we had some sort of technical difficulty that I, for the life of me, cannot figure out. We have a, a screeching noise, a buzzing and screeching noise that runs through the entire tape, all the tracks. Um, and it's just, you know, well, I shouldn't say all the tracks. The track or the one, the tracks are divided into three tracks, you know, our guest, Colin, and myself. And our guest track, the screech was all through it. And we talked about naval warfare, naval war gaming, things like that. And I want to get him back on to retape that show, um, to retape it and retalk. It was a good conversation, great guy to talk to. Uh, but we'll have him back on. Uh, but that was the last thing we were talking about. And then that one, I talked about my merchant raider game that I love to do, such like that. So, but that's about it. Uh, But that's all I've been up to. That and work, work's been absolutely insane. Uh, Home life has been absolutely insane. So nothing is, uh, you know, 2021 was one of those years that you want to put behind you and want to forget. And 2022 is so far has not been much easier, but we'll get there. So there's too many good things coming out now that are just definitely have interested. But yeah, um,
1: I know that one of the good things that
0: came out last year is what you're starting to burn toward. And do you want to talk about that a little bit more? I'd like. I mean, I I love the figures. The figures are absolutely uh, beautiful. I I only have uh, about ten of their figures, and the rest of them are the um, duo. Of, uh, oh shoot! How do you pronounce that? But the, um, uh,
1: the ten figures you have with uh, that's from Footsore, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. The okay. Footsore Baron's War. Those are their figures. Um, and they're, I've got a couple of their, their command packs and a couple of their personality figures, and they're just absolute beautiful sculpts. They are fantastic. I think some of the best looking sculpts i got. Now I did say for Christmas, I did get some very good sculpts that I'll be using for the Baron's War. And, um, they're for the Monty Python, Holy Grail figures. I got the King and I got Lancelot and I got their, their, um uh they're uh what do you call them uh they're squires carrying all the packs uh who made those uh who made those figures oh shoot i can't even remember right now they were fantastic i mean if any and they're gonna they're, they're definitely gonna be in my baron's war collection uh one of my baron's War miracles they're some of the best looking uh they're another again excellent sculpts um uh, can't remember who those but who did my plastic studio matches i think <laughs> is the one with the um ah yeah studio miniatures did the monty uh, python yep yeah, right with the uh, coconuts in <laughs> it's hilarious um thus yeah, I, I, I I know I
1: told you we need to model the uh the two sparrows with the um piece
0: of rope in between them and the coconut yeah I've got to get that I love that I think that it's just absolutely hilarious and they're they're just yes but um uh, yeah, Fireforge games are the other ones. The miniatures I have from them, they're uh, dual, dual, and I can't pronounce it right, dual vault figures. they got a bunch of their plastics that I started to assemble for Baron's War as well. Uh,
1: yeah, great for just filling out the ranks.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going to be getting more of the uh, Fireforge games as soon as I get rid of some of my other lead to, to finance those because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. they're they're really nice figures yeah definitely Um, beautiful just not cheap no no they're not they're not but they're worth the price of. yes if you want if and the problem is what worries me is i'm such a crap painter that i'm not going to do those figures justice and they're really some uh, nice nice movement very animated um realistic just everything about them I, i really like some of my favorite figures so well, if you're worried about um, your painting, just take off your glasses and you won't be able to tell any of those. There you go. That's what I need to do. That's that's the way. That and hold them way off the way. Speaking of not being able to tell painting, one other thing I did was um, I was out at uh, uh, there's a, a game cafe in Norman, uh, Norman Oklahoma that I was stopped in at. And they have, they do resin 3D printing of uh, designs. And I started talking to the I poked my head in there just to see what they're like, and that and start chatting with one, the guy there who owns it, and started telling him about um, Project Wargaming's two millimeter figure files. Uh, and I've got a bunch of his ancient files that uh, i got from them from Project Wargaming. I got the the Celts and the, you know, the whole ancient collection. So I had him do up some of those figures uh, and print them out on resin. Um, I don't think he tried to change some of the settings away from the recommendation uh of what they recommended, uh what Project Wargaming recommended. Um uh, but the when he reset them, they came out really nice. I just need to get a chance to start painting them because I gotta prime them and then paint them. Because right now they look like red blobs and melted gummy bears or you know, those uh, you know, rubber uh <coughs> the candy uh jelly candies that are just melted blobs. but they when you look at them in a magnifying glass you can make them out they really they're going to be fun to do but uh, I got those for uh Mark Bockhaus's uh rules, strength and honor when he come when those come out I want to try that out eventually so I think they yeah, look those, good those do look fabulous yeah yeah so um uh, other than that I still have I haven't I've got all my Different rule sets, all the things picking up that I just haven't tried. Um, I really, and you know, I'm kicking myself now because uh, uh, Empress Miniatures just came out with Bohica. And those I got had just last year, year before, end of, end of, actually end of 2020. I got rid of all my Vietnam games, sent them over across the pond to stand. Uh, wanted to get into the Vietnam War Wargaming, so I sent him over there to him. And now I'm thinking, oh, that'd be so fun. But uh, by the way, for any of our listeners, BOHICA is an acronym that, meant bend, that means bend over, here it comes again. Now, Paul is crediting it to the Vietnam era. I have not found any written documentation on the use of the term BOHICA anywhere in the Vietnam era. I do believe the expression originated with first recon in the United States Marine Corps in the late 70s, early 80s after Vietnam. The reason being is I remember sitting around with a group of guys and somebody coming up with that with some of the weird acronyms. And somebody said that and they said, oh, that's an Indian name. We could do that. And they came up with that name. So we use Bohica. Back in first recon, but if any of our listeners can find or give us reference to documented reference to it being used prior to 1979, I'd appreciate it because then I know somebody plagiarized it. But I think it's more of a modern term than that. But it's a great term for you know, still sounds like a great Vietnam term. Mm -hmm. But ranks right up there with snafu and fubar. So, but anyway, that's my. My plug there.
1: Yeah. Uh when I saw those rules that they came out, uh, some of the pictures that you you putting up online, I thought, oh no, here we Another period.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I am really trying to, you know, again, not fall into temptation. I'm not going to do it yet. Uh give it time.
1: Yeah, I know we had some uh, some of the most
0: fun gaming I've ever done was with FNG. Oh, 15, yeah uh, games with 15 you know yeah yeah that F-N-G. was that were great rules well i'm gonna I'm gonna pick up the rules uh the vehicle rules from Paul I will get them for, you know, or from for members miniatures. good one mm-hmm. uh they sound like great job uh, Paul does a fantastic job on everything he does very detailed and uh, not uh not detailed in a bad way but you know he knows he knows how to uh, do a good game. So I want to try and give, I'm going to pick those rules up just so I have them, because I love collecting rules. But the one thing that intrigues me is, and I didn't think about it before, but, you know, FNG was great rules with two-hour wargaming, Ed and, and, and Taxera. Um, they gave a good game and you could play those solo. Well, reading, uh, or I should say reading, listening to the podcast from War Game Soldiers and Strategies where they interviewed uh, uh, Paul about those, about his roles, got. They said they can be used solo as well and are designed, they can be used cooperative and solo. Um, and that was one of the best things about FNG was it made a great cooperative game. So I'm gonna uh I'll pick up those rules sometime and uh have a good read through on them. But they sound good. Definitely sound good. So but uh yeah. Again, you know, and that probably takes us over to what we had talked about talking about tonight, as kind of our inspiration. What inspires us, and in that. So, you know, you've started picking up on the the Rhodesian Bush Wars. What inspired you? What What motivated you to pick up on that topic? Oh, This is going to sound
1: terrible and so modern. Uh, such modern young kids these days. Well, but honestly, just thumbing around on YouTube. Yeah. So um yeah, you know it was, it was uh sean clark with god's own scale i was watching a lot of his videos and he was doing uh it's called Billy good war gaming i think that's his channel on youtube and seeing a lot of the ak47 stuff it, it really piqued my interest um i know we i think i've done something in the past like a long time ago with it uh, back in the, the 2000s i remember it being fun so it's it really sparked my interest again and when I just started thumbing around on uh, like the history of the, the era trying to find out like what armies I could collect what uh because it it's kind of like a, a fun zone you can pretty much grab whatever you want from the 20th century throw it into the conflict and it was historical in some fashion um but really just researching the period and then I started finding these old uh, like tv newsreels of through a Bush for and I just was like, well, I didn't even know this was going on. And this is probably going to surprise a lot of you, especially our English viewers, because I guess uh, there are some people out in this community that have lived through it and thought through it. Um, But I I didn't even know it was a thing until recently. Where I may have heard about it, but I didn't really know about it in depth. And just looking up these YouTube videos of um, war correspondents and then watching Veterans talk about their experience. I was like, "Wow, these these are some interesting tactics. These interesting situations. I, I want to give my mind to go at it." Um, and it is probably the uh, the militaristic side that I'm dealing with right now. Is we do do war games, and the war games aren't necessarily for fun in my career field. It's more so for building our own knowledge base, building ex- levels of experience, so that way we can adapt in real world scenarios. Um, so I like doing this out of the box and outside of our tactical employment zone or our capabilities, dealing with someone else's capabilities, and it's it's fun for me. Yeah.
0: So Plus it's,
1: YouTube is how I got into it.
0: <laughs> well, what I was surprised when we were talking and you told me you never, and I told you to, oh, what you, think, you know, about the Wild Geese, the movie, the Wild Geese, and you oh, never had seen that. I mean, that was the one that got. He motivated for when that came out to try Bush Wars years ago when I first time I did it.
1: Right. So, well, Geese is
0: still one of the
1: best movies of all time.
0: Yeah, it's a good movie. I really enjoyed that. But yeah, there's some yeah you, know, you you watch some of these movies and you think, well, that'd be a, a, that's where you get a lot of motivation for scenarios and things like that, and books mm-hmm. and such. I know I wouldn't have I would have never picked up. I always kept saying no. I I have. I hate Napoleonics. I have no interest in Napoleonics. Napoleonics, you know, they're they're boring. They're, you know, all that. And it's I'm not a button counter. I never do it. And then I somebody I forget who it was uh, recommended. I read uh, one of the Richard Sharp books from Cornwall. Not Cornwell. And Bernard Cornwall. Cornwell? Cornwell. Gosh. Sorry, guys. It's the bro. Um, and so Where's I read one of those. Gone? sorry? Where's all the rum gone? Oh. <laughs> I need to get some more. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the fact the rum I got, I don't have enough deep bottle up here. Hang on a sec. Let's well, you, see you guys if can I see get it right now. But uh, product placement here.
1: Yeah, he's pulling out the, uh,
0: the rum. Yeah, there's the a bumble set bumble. of rum. It's called uh, Bamboo Rum, the original. Um, it's uh, spelled B-U-M-B-U, uh, it's a Bumbu Rum Company. They make this rum that is absolutely amazing. It has a hint of banana. When you open it and smell it, it smells like bananas, but the, it is so smooth and goes down so well. Um, so if I, if we do ever post this on the video, here's a bottle of it. It is an empty bottle, which attests to how good it is. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so maybe we'll get some sponsorship from those guys uh, try that no but seriously um i raked up and i read and i thought oh that sounds pretty good and right about that time um that was shortly after that time actually uh sharp practice came out from two fat lardies and i thought oh that's perfect because i can do some of these because there's some good in- there's some good fighting in the books and so that's how i got into Napoleonics now we've got 1000s of six millimeter Napoleonics uh, that were uh, from uh, from Bacchus and Adler that we're painting up. And now I'm doing all the big battle Napoleonic. So it, got, it was my inspiration there. But I find, uh, you know, the books and movies, or some of them are just phenomenal. But then again, you stumble across somebody who does a, a great figure, and then all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, I gotta get into that line, I gotta try that. So I don't Baron's War is a uh, one that will suck you in because I had no interest in that period until I saw the figures and then started reading about the, you know, that not only the, the anarchy, which is before the Baron's War period, and then the Baron's War itself. And so, I don't know, I don't know. So what's going to be our next set of inspiration?
1: Oh dear, <laughs> whatever comes past my window. <laughs> <laughs> whatever I see scrolling on my phone, whatever I go to see it at a game show, whatever I see on YouTube. Yeah. Or if a new movie pops up, like um, I think Tom Hanks came out in a new movie called The Grey or something.
0: Yeah, the, about the, uh, you're talking about the, uh, where's it, Destroyer Escort Commander?
1: Yep. Or was he, is it something about submarines?
0: No, the, he's, a, he's a commander of a Destroyer Escort. Okay. And he, um, I, I've, I've not seen the movie yet. I want to see it. Um, uh, the guy who, oh shoot, who wrote the book? It's based off of, you know, we should have really rep, if we would have prepared this podcast better, our listeners would know it. we'd be able to give them all the facts about Ooh, this big movie was based on this book, which was written by this so-and-so and there for that podcast and new nonsense. Yeah. Occasionally we do, but you know, not too often. Um, yeah, but it's supposed to be, um, a really good film about um, escorting a merchant uh a convoy across the Atlantic and the guy the senior American commander who's escorting it's his first convoy that he's ever escorted his first time in combat and he's leading groups that are much more experienced than he is uh into into it um supposedly so I haven't read the um uh, I haven't watched the movie. I think, and I, the book sounds real familiar because it was the guy who wrote the Hornblower series. I think it's the same guy who wrote the book that it's based off of. Uh, and I can't remember who what the guy's name was. It's driving me nuts. My mind's my, I'm I'm not thinking straight tonight.
1: So, yeah, uh, yeah definitely seen that commercial instantly made me want to bring out General Porters and then pull out a bunch of GHSQ ships and
0: have at it i've i've got them i've got them all <laughs> in that box there's just tons of them but yeah that's the uh that was a, a good is a good book and a good scenario would be good scenarios too it's kind of driving me nuts i know i have the book on my bookshelf somewhere i just don't know which one it is and i'm not going to take the time to go through it right now but the um i just got done reading a book called uh oh, where would i put it islands of destiny which is about the solomon islands campaign so makes me want to bring out the world war ii marines and then also some of the naval ships for this the battle of the slot and some of the solomon island battles naval battles so i don't know my inspirations are usually usually books sometimes movies and oftentimes just documentaries or something like that that i'll uh watch I'll you know, see something and i think oh that sounds interesting i didn't know anything about that and suddenly it's a rabbit hole
1: so are you saying
0: that you go into the game prior or do you do research first it's usually i i i see something that sparks my interest and then i start reading about it and, and getting more and then i get you know then i kind of expand my gaming around that so for instance you know um What's a what's a good one? Um, oh, well, well, let's go. Let's look at sharp uh, the sharp series of books. Years ago, when they came, or not when they came out, but when uh, sharp practice came out, um, I had read the books. I saw the rules. I thought, yeah, I'm going to get some of these figures, and I'd buy a few figures just enough to do a small battle. And thought, yeah, that was fun. But then I start reading more about what really happened. You know, here's what the book said which everybody knows that's just soap opera from that Or, you know, that's a guy soap opera type stuff and not realistic, but then when you start reading some of the rear guard actions fought during the retreat, or, you know, some of the actions that happened between scouting parties and things like that, or raids by dragoons, again, you know, you start to read some of these, uh, these, these stories, you start to develop, you know, I start to expand more and more. And then you know, I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll look at these set of rules, these, these big battle set of rules. and Oh, that could be fun. Let's start doing that. And suddenly, you know, I go from having, you know, 24, 28 millimeter figures by Paris to having 10,000 6 millimeter Bacchus figures, um, you know, for a large scale to do Leipzig or Borodino or something. And it's all based upon those little, I just, you know, I read something and then find something else that has me read more and read again and read or, or whatever. Um, You were the one who told me about the Empire of the Summer Moon, I think it was. Um, The book about the command, the uh, Indian Wars and the Comanches in that, in the, uh, in this area. And so that right there sparked an interest on, ooh, let's pick up some more of these figures and let's start doing this. And and you start reading, you know, more and more. So that kind of got me interested okay that. so so you're
1: telling me that you uh purchased into some Comanches?
0: a few but that was, that was there yeah they're not really the the proper ones it's their back they're the is six millimeter design for pony wars because mm-hmm. uh, those are more hollywood style um yeah. but they're still at that scale and you know the folks that uh The folks around here, believe it or not, uh, don't know the history as much as you would expect. Um, For some of the listeners don't know, I am, instead of being in North Carolina, where I've been for years, I am now out in Oklahoma. Um, And I'm amazed at some of the, you know, these things that I'd see in Hollywood movies and such like that. a lot of those native tribes, they're all out here. And this is everywhere you go. And some of the native tribes are native tribes from the East that were forced out and pushed out in this area. So then I mean, you got a big contingent of Cherokee and you got Delaware. And those are all Indians from the East Coast or Native Americans, whatever term is. The irony is here you see the Plains Indian Museum. We'll call it the Plains Native American Museum. Um, you have things like that. so. I don't know what the proper term is, and if I offended anybody, then forgive me. I don't mean to offend anybody by uh, using the term Indian versus Native American, but uh, the history and all the things that occurred are all, you know, we're only an hour's drive from the Red River Valley, and there was so much going down that way. Uh, you've got the Chisholm Trail cuts through here, and that's all the Western gunfights. That came through that area. So all of a sudden, now you're, those are inspiration for history. But yeah, it's, you know, you read somebody, read a book, you think, ooh, that happened here. And then suddenly, oh, I got to get the figures, got to get the rules. So it's all inspiration.
1: Just like you said, it starts out with the squad. Next thing you know, you have a brigade.
0: (laughs) Brigade. Let's go for army group. (laughs) More like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's so many things though. I mean, if uh, yeah, I wonder how many people are gonna start gathering as, as, as bad as this sounds, are gonna start gathering inspiration from the current events going on in, in Ukraine right now. Um, I know one of the things that I used to like to do in my gaming was to test out scenarios, test out capabilities, you know, like what ifs, and how would I do this, or how would I handle this? Um, even though it's a game, use it as a simulation as well. And I can see people doing that now with this conflict. Um, because there's and in five years, is that going to be something that our people are gaming? Because I know people game the Russian-Georgian conflict. Um, they make figures for those. So somebody's gonna be gaming this one and before you know it too. Well, um, I don't know if you
1: know this, but the uh, operation enduring freedom. Um, also known as the Afghan war has actually been quite popular. I think it's more popular than the Russian Afghan war back in uh, the 1980s. So a lot of people are doing these uh, Taliban insurgencies versus US coalition forces. And I, I've seen a lot of hype from it from anywhere from 15 to 28 using uh, specter rules, using force on force, using face modern battle. and They'll go simulate uh, Thailand attacking US forces. Um, I don't think there's too many times where they relate them to actual conflicts or battles, but, or small skirmishes. But I do know that throughout the year, people do come up with these skirmishes. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like trying to like glorify the fun, but it's, it's definitely trying to understand what's going on out there.
0: Right. I know that some folks will say, oh, that's tasteless or no, I won't do that. And that's fine. Whatever everybody's, you know, what's what's right for one person, you know, it's fine. As long as you're respectful, uh, uh, you're respectful of the period. Um, I have no problem with anybody gaming any period, as long as they're respectful of it and not, you know, glorify the, you know, there's a difference between gaming a period and glorifying uh, something in my mind, but that's a different, that's a podcast for morality. And I think we even had that podcast back. I think that was number seven or eight, if I remember correctly. I don't think I want to look on the list, but Um, the, uh, you know, you mentioned about the popularity of the, the, uh, this one now versus the Russian podcast out of the Russian period. One of the things that drives uh, interest, you know, we're talking about movies and books People in the English-speaking world, and I can only speak for the English-speaking world, have a lot more materials available to them about what happened post, you know, 2001 onward than what happened back in, you know, 1979 to, 19, you know, to the 1989, the 10 years there. Because um, very, there's very few books in the English language comparatively, and there's very few movies documentaries things like that about what happened but yet the, the you know the conflict that the russians fought was just as dramatic in many time, cases as the conflict that we fought for 20 years um, and there's a lot of things that can be learned from that um, and some in some very interesting games i know there's a there's a movie out that I keep wanting to see about a Russian tank crew trying to get their tank, uh, was it tank or armored fighting vehicle, in Afghanistan. They're trying to get it back to base or something like that. Um, and it's all about just the tank crew. And I can't remember. It's just, I know I saw glimpses of it when I watched it. But then again, that creates a scenario. And But if more people saw it in the West, then it might become a, a gaming thing. You know, gamers, I don't know what gamers in Russian game, you know, do they game that period? Are they more interested in that period? You know, so where are they getting their inspiration? Who knows? Oh,
1: well, speaking of that, though, it's it's a little off topic, but I do know there's this is from, uh, Russian manufacturer. He creates miniatures and um, sells them on e, or not eBay, He's, he sells them on Facebook. Um, Yes. Not the typical platform I see from some figures from an actual manufacturer, but uh, if he does it. The figures look nice and they're actually of Alaskan native tribes. Um, the principalities of the Russian state from the early to medieval period. And then they, he also sells the Russian colonials for Alaska. Uh, it's oh, really? Another very little talked about period um but yeah the, he does sell the name of american tribes i think their name is italic i'm probably butchering that word but it's there's uh yeah they do use war canoes they have uh, wooden armor which kind of looks and can look exotic different uh but because the russians know that part of the alaska history um he's been able to create those miniatures and have knowledge about that Whereas oh. here in the English speaking world, we probably don't know too much about Russian colonization of the, um, Alaska.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's very many, you know, unfortunately, thanks to changes in our educational system, um, I don't know how many people know anything about Seward's folly, you know, the purchase of Alaska. Um, you know, every because that was considered at the time a big waste of money. Um, but it became alaska we got a lot of oil out of it and gold so and great fishing really good fishing out there <laughs> <laughs> so um what other movies are the movies that coming out or have been out there oh i know a movie that's been a big inspiration for for wargaming starship troopers oh yes it has <laughs> yes it has <laughs> how many games is, uh based things that have come out of that that are similar to Starship Troopers not only is Starship Troopers the game that came out with the figures and such but other spinoffs that people have done similar things so I think everybody's uh associate the Warhammer
1: 40k uh Imperial yeah. Guard with the tiered it's with that at least at some point
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: that would be some yeah. level of inspiration whether it be my new or what have you but Maybe the, the coincidence of the Imperial Guards and the tyranny, it's looking so similar
0: it isn't necessarily a coincidence. Well, I'm sure when they uh, when uh, they first developed, uh, when games work, or when cynical managers first came out with the games workshop figures, you know, it was Rogue Trader originally, mm-hmm. I'm sure that Robert Haline's book Starship Troopers had something to do with it. So, but that was, uh, that was a good one and then you know you talk about uh then you got all the vietnam movies all the world war ii movies uh, i can say uh
1: in my mind it's the most most played battle ever in miniature war gaming and one of the greatest movies and it's waterloo oh yeah Every time, everybody i guarantee water waterloo on the western hemisphere is the number one played battle i mean People could take me out, tell me I'm wrong, but that—that's just what I believe after seeing so many people build the armies, play it, sell the army, rebuild the army, and then maybe buy it in a different scale too.
0: Well, that—that's that's the thing too. You know, Waterloo was such a defining battle; it—it—it um, mm-hmm. it, it really capped off a campaign. Um, you know, uh, it really—you know—halted Napoleon's uh, ambitions or re or a resurgence, but you think about it, why it's so popular because of the English have promoted it. You know, the French, the Germans don't promote it as much. They, they, they should, they deserve a lot of the credit, even though Wellington made sure that uh, English credit with the victory and not just a allied victory. Um, I know the French don't promote it too well, uh, too much for some odd reason, don't know why. Uh, but you know, you you have that type of promotion. So those those type of movies in that in the English speaking world, I wonder how many movies were missing in the non-English speaking world, you know, like the uh, movies out of uh, India or, or China or Japan that talk about some of those uh, things that we may not, you know, may some of the folks who watch that obscure stuff, you know, who watch those periods maybe know about it or know about the movies. But how much the regular public, you know, the average war gamer doesn't know on those, and how much that would inspire. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. Going back to Waterloo, though, I think they need to remake that movie and remake it accurately, and not as an anti-war movie. Okay. Well, as much as we all look like that, that's
1: never going to happen. We I know the way that movies are going these days.
0: I know, I know. I just watched a remake of the Magnificent Seven um uh, the old cowboy movie with Yule Brenner from the 60s and they just you know they redid it about five six years ago I think maybe not that long but I watched that that would be a good Wild West scenario. Is that and,
1: the one where Channing Tatum's hiding under the floor? With what? Channing Tatum hiding under the floor is that a uh, uh, the Quentin Tarantino
0: movie. Yeah it's Quentin Tarantino. Is that yeah. Chanum Tating? Chanum Tating that yeah. no, Chan Tatum Channing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, never mind. There's the room. Um, Yeah, that was uh, different, to say the least. Um, But uh, it was interesting. It was was a good movie. It was a fun movie. But I hate to say it, while I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking, okay, what rules would I use for this? Okay, I could use, you know, I could use uh, gut shot. That would work. Oh, but actually, the man who would be king would work better because it's a larger battle. So you need to do that, um, you know, for the final fight scene.
1: Um, actually, I've seen a real um, surgence of this rule called Death Man's Hand. It's really gained yeah. popularity where you'll have yeah. posses of gangs and you'll fight in some town square or a certain scenario. And from what I've been seeing, what I've been hearing, it's it's very movie-esque. It's, you're
0: more so doing cut scenes as opposed to actually doing a Western scenario, right? Which, well, I just, I just, uh, Dead Man's Hand's been out for a while. I mean, Foreground um, made a whole series of, of buildings for Dead Man's Hand at one point, and so did some other companies. I think it was Foreground did it, but yeah, Dead Man's Hand's been out for a while, um, probably at least ten years. But yeah, it is picking up. I am seeing more more notices of it. So, but it is, I've never tried it, but I've heard it's good. I mean, so. I'm sure if you use the Empress Muiters, sure John Wayne characters with the uh, dead man's hand, yeah. this is going to be so much fun. Yeah, well, I, uh, I don't know how you do the gunfight, the final gunfight from the John Wayne movie, El Dorado, but if I can ever figure that one out. Something about John Wayne jumping off a wagon, only able to use his left hand instead of his right. Um, it's got to be an interesting one. So. Well, like if you don't said, know the movie El dorado go watch it it's on hulu and netflix another interesting one is using a full revolver or,
1: um not a repeater rifle with one hand yeah
0: well that's just it he had the pistol on one hand the rifle on the other the range in his teeth and that's true grit wasn't it where he goes charging yeah. across the yeah uh and of course some um, you know got a roll to roll snake eyes or roll double uh boxcars he hits roll snake eyes he falls off his horse so there's to it
1: (laughs) you you need to be accurate
0: no no it doesn't no it doesn't I think uh in fact that's you know it's funny some of the movies that I've seen in the past have been completely inaccurate and just Totally Hollywood Hokum. But they've gotten me at least to look at the period and start reading the period. Uh, you know, and I, I gotta tell you, one of the, an inspiration for me, one of the honest inspirations for me to get into early World War One was Black Adder Goes Forth. Now I know that set at the last year of the war, or in the last, you know, the, the later part of the war. Um after they're bogged down in trenches. But it got me to start reading about the period more so. And I know we've been to Ypres and, and all through the trenches and you know, we traveled all through there and was a family and that. But I really, that was an interesting historic purpose, but it didn't get me interested until the small skirmish or things like that, until I started listening to Black Adder, just because I like the uniforms. And I like you know Tony Robinson as Baldrick is just the best ever, um, but watching that uh, got me to start looking at how they you know well were the uniforms really like that? And so I started reading the books, and I started reading people, and then I started reading about the early war and the BEF, uh, British Expeditionary Forces, and and that. And so suddenly now, of course, you know. And, you know, Paul and Empress is getting too many plugs from us because it's his World War One figures we have, so we can't mention Empress anymore today. Let's pick out a new, uh, a new miniature manufacturer to talk about. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's got me going into World War One. You know, it's, that's what motivated me to do that. So something that is completely Hollywood, way off base, not even close to being accurate, is an inspiration for accuracy. So now I gotta find some more inspiration. First of all, I gotta get a Wargaming Center set up. I gotta get my own, you know, get my my Wargaming table back in play and all that stuff and start being able to have a schedule to model again. But, again, eventually. So.
1: That can bring us into a different aspect of what inspires you. So right now we're talking about like themes and periods or- what about scales? Like, how does that
0: inspire you? Some... You know, that that's a good point. I, I, I because what motivates me with the different scales, or what gets me thinking, is what level of game do I want to play? You know, what what role do I want to take on on the game? Do I want to be the you know a squad leader? Do I want to be a battalion commander or whatever. And you know, that leads to how big of a view do I want to have of the battlefield. And so that's what drives my scale. That's what has me fascinated about these two millimeters that are coming out. You know, or not coming out, but you know, they've been out for people have made two millimeters for years, but they're gaining in popularity. Uh, that's what got me, you know, with the interest of, I thought it was so fascinating about Project Wargaming's two millimeter figures is when you start to do these big battles, you are looking at hordes of people, you know, hordes of men or women, whatever. You know, and, and they are tiny when you look at them at a big group. So you're more interested about moving the group around rather than the individual figure. Now skirmish, I like to be able to see the figure. I like to see what they've got on them. And that's what gets that's the inspiration for me on scales is what do i you know what do i want to get out of the game do i want to get out of overall being the general with the huge battlefield sweeping view or do i want to be the squad leader Mm -hmm. so you know what type of view do i want to have now of course then weapon ranges and things like that impact some of that too but you know
1: I'm not going to lie, your uh, little piece there just unintentionally inspired me for the two millimeters, but the Battle of Yeah, Because all I could think of is us tying back to non-historical, historical movies that are inaccurate. And of course, Alexander takes the the cake and in the bird's eye view of Guagamilla.
0: Well, you know, it's not as bad as 300. You know, with, you uh, with the, rhino, the armored yeah. rhino or whatever. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, but still, you're right. Yeah, that's a good example. And yeah, for Project Wargaming, um, his figures, you know, he's got the phalanxes, you got the elephants and you know, all of that stuff. You just have to get a, a good quality printer to print them out. So
1: uh, but,
0: just to get this clear, is the elephant the uh, melted gummy bear or the un gummy bear? Semi-melted gummy bear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I haven't printed off any of the elements yet. Um, I've just got the cavalry and the, I did the, um, all I did, um, the guys, I gave the files to the guys to print out for me uh, at the cafe uh, to try, you know, to print them for me. Um, and they they, 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 as I said, they didn't do a good job on But the, the ones they did are nice, but all I got were the Celtic war bands, and then the Roman, uh, the Roman, uh, legions, uh, to set off. Uh, but that was all I, I got done on them. I haven't done anything else. If I, these ones were just tests for them. And if I want to do more then I probably would have to pay them and I don't want to pay anything yet. So not until I can find some, you know, I can get some, uh, other things cleared out and, uh, Thinned out of my collection before I get anything new, so I just have too much junk. So,
1: well, I'm sure that you could do some of the uh, the six mil revolution trees with your. Uh, your
0: oh yeah, builder. oh yeah, oh I definitely will. I definitely will. And that, uh, so in fact, thinking of uh, you know talking about six mil, I was moving around some boxes. I was trying to find some stuff for work around the house to fix up, and I I moved a box. And I found all of my Bacchus six millimeter American War of Independence figures. Now, my motivation for the American War of Independence has nothing to do with any movie. It had to do with walking the battlefield at Moore's Creek. So, you know, you remember, yeah, you remember that you went down there a couple times, didn't you? <laughs> Morse Creek is, for the listeners, Morris Creek is a uh, national battlefield in North Carolina. It's uh, south of Wilmington. And it was a battle that was fought in uh, uh, 1776, February 1776, where a contingent of loyalists, uh, a very large contingent of loyalists, they were mostly Scottish, uh and they were trying to rally support in north carolina and a group of uh uh, revolutions uh, revolutionaries or they were trying to prevent them from getting down to wilmington and they wound up crossing and controlling a bridge at Moore's creek and in the nighttime before the battle, they went out to parley with the to parley with the loyalists on the north side of the creek and made it look like their defensive lines were on the north side of the creek. But at night, they retreated back to the south side of the creek and set up their defensive lines and then pulled up all the, the planks off the bridge. So it was just the main supports going across. Well, when the, the morning when the loyalists decided to attack the cross, they ran into the where the north side of the creek was, and there was no more loyal uh, uh, revolutionaries there, or patriots, whatever you want to call them. So then they wound up, uh, they saw them on the south side. So they had to charge across the bridge where there were no planks, it was just the support beams. And there were three support beams. And they led the charge, wielding uh, Claymore swords and kilts and all that going across like something out of the 16th century instead of, you know, the 18th century. And needless to say, the loyalists lost and it effectively stopped the loyalists from gaining control in North Carolina and shifted the main part of the fighting away from North Carolina until for a couple years, at least until things changed in the north. It was one of those small skirmishes that had an oversized bearing on history. And I thought that battle was so fascinating. I started reading more about the war in the South and how things developed and such, that that's what got me going into the American War of Independence. So tying that back to our main theme of inspiration, uh, we'll do that. Was that a good segue to to wrap that back in?
1: Oh yeah. uh, but before you start thinking, well, why didn't they just go through the water, go through, around the bridge, find another crossing? Um, well, they had to get the, the direct line to Wilmington, and that was the fastest route. And if you ever go down into that area, it is very thick, dense marsh. Um, I've done quite a few endurance courses through that area. And if you can if you can go fashion a walking pace through some of this net deep mud, uh, like I, I'm not even kidding you mud then um, good luck I, yeah. I've seen, definitely seen people try to get out of like the, the actual waterways and try to walk in the mud and they'll just sink to their toes while we swim past them And uh, no, it's, oh. it's very dense and thick so using those the beams or the rails to like skirt across like sideways um, is honestly your best option and they ended up going was it a six pounder that they walked right into
0: yeah yeah Now they, uh, yeah, that and a little um, uh, small two-pounder or something like that, little tiny thing um, mounted on a log. Um, But those were the two cannons they had, the, the, the Patriots had. The other thing, too, don't forget, at that time period, alligators were not nearly as rare as they are today in that part of North Carolina. So... That was another hazard that had to be faced if you jumped into the marshes there. Um, water moccasin too. Which oh gosh. A bit yeah. of water moccasin. Um, even today, one day, it's gonna kill you. Uh, yeah, yeah, not nice. Good luck getting into the hospital one time. Yeah, too many nasties out there at that time. So again, interesting, s- small skirmish with oversized, with oversized implications on the on the campaign. Uh, but yeah, that was my inspiration for American War of Independence, uh, that and family connections, but that's a different story. Oh
1: yeah, let's not talk about
0: that
1: one. Yeah. <laughs> Might US interest.
0: Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, yeah. So family connections, again, you know, if you look back on family and that's, a, I wonder how many people pick up Wargaming or interest in Wargaming based upon something they've learned about their family history. Like. You know, now chances are they had an interest in a period and they went and found out a member of the family was in that period and they've been gaming it. But I wonder how many people, you know, did some genealogical research or had a family story about somebody who, you know, a a father, a grandfather, a great grandfather who served in one of the world wars um, and, you know, got interested in doing, recreating that unit for that period or something. Or civil war, you know, found out they had a confederate in the closet or found out they had a union member in the closet, depending on what part of the state you're from, um, you know, and wound up uh, doing that. So that's probably another form of inspiration for people. So I don't know. I don't know. There's not much fun in Wargaming V2 rockets hitting. So that family member inspiration we won't take. So um, you
1: know, I can definitely see what the family you know member uh, like one example would be if you had a grandfather in 12th bomber command or something of this sort uh you could definitely see getting into uh or watching the movie memphis bell buying yeah. some kind of miniature whether it be 144 or um uh, one 300 and then modeling a the bomber situation and then you have fighters attack it and you have to give a fire support
0: didn't you um, just you picked up some uh bombers and and fighters recently yeah um i just picked up a total of eight
1: b-17s no fighter support unfortunately um quite a few 109s and the whole whole idea is the same idea where i've got with a western scenario so the the bomber scenario is the central moving the the parameters of the table is focused around the central group of the bombers so the bombers don't move on the table unless they um, lose power and have to fall behind or something of this sort happens uh, or they fall off of formation. But the center of the formation is the center of the table. The landscape on the table is what moves around underneath the bombers. Uh, of course, you don't have to change out mats or anything, but everything is relative to the bombers. So if you're going into the bombers, um, your speed in- or your movement on the table is increased. But if you're going with the bombers, your movement on the table is decreased. Um, Does really have an effect if you uh laterally with the with the bombers. But uh, another su- uh, scenario I have at the same site would be a cattle drive in the western scenario, where your cowboys protecting cattle drive, and bandits have to take the cattle. That's
0: a good one. That's a good one. You could have so much fun with that one. Mm-hmm. So you could even use it with the new Pony Wars. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good one. So yeah, I like that. Um you know, you a variation of the uh the uh rules, combine the rules pig wars with uh gut shot or with dead man's hand or something like that, and have you know rating parties. So oh which um the new fun one of rating parties.
1: Um so I've been doing a lot of research on the Italian Wars, bought the 15 millimeter Italian Wars army. Uh, I haven't painted it entirely yet because I stopped at the launch Um But I also, like, maybe look, oh, what was England doing at this time frame? And I saw a little bit of the Border Wars. I haven't read too much on it, but I've done a little bit of background research. And now, um, Battle Flag, I believe it is, is coming out with the miniatures for the Border Wars in 28 millimeter. Well, that'd be nice. So if you're into the Elizabethan period, um, there are miniatures coming out now with mounted uh, like, Scotsman, mounted Yorkshiremen with spears lances. Um, they're here to take the cattle so walk them up.
0: Well I've got I've got probably about 40 28 millimeter sheep and probably about a dozen 20 millimeter cattle um, so. That, ought, uh, that would be a help for that one. So not too many pigs and chickens. I think I've only got about six of each of those. Need to get more pigs and chickens. Yeah, you can even have enough. Yeah, yeah, need those. Because you can use those for any type of rating party. Mm-hmm. And rating games are fun. Uh, you know, whether it's something like... Uh, You know, French and Indian Wars or or whatever. Some of the rating games can be real fun, and they they lend themselves to a a good, quick evening too. So, you definitely
1: don't even have to have two parties involved. You can have three or four parties all battling
0: out competing for uh, the prize. Right, right, yeah, yeah. That was the that was the fun thing. First time I ever tried pig wars um and that's a good set of rules if you guys have if anybody hasn't tried them out there um i don't i think you can get them from war games um war games vault or, or rpg well okay and whatever one of the online um mass rule sites uh mass rule selling sites um, but just google it pig wars uh their slogan is pig wars where men are men and pig for money uh it's, it's just a good game. It's it's medieval or actually Dark Age, uh, not Dark Age, Viking Age, uh, Saxons and Vikings for the predominant area, where you're literally just going in and stealing cattle, pigs, chickens from somebody else's village. And they're trying to stop you at the same time somebody, you know, they, you can have four or five sides on there, which is everybody's just trying to get it, you know, fight each other and steal as many uh, cattle and pigs as possible. And the game is always a laugh. It's always a laugh. It's where you find out who, who your uh, real friends are. So. Yeah, they will stab you in the back. It's just requirement for that game. Um, but it, it's fun. There's other games, too, that are like that, too, where you can have, um, you know, just various, uh, you know, anything can happen on that, where it's just, you know, changing sides or. And we all know that never happened in real life, Uh, changing sides in the middle of a battle. Or I like the games where they were, and that was just like the uh, War of the Roses, one of the War of the Roses battles, where I I did a game one time where uh, the person who had, you know, the commander who came out of it with the most troops was the winner, you know, because it was part of the campaign system. And my allied, commander, I went into charge and my ally, the guy who was alive, supposed to be on my side, held his army back. So my army took most of the brunt and did most of the, you know, did most of the damage, but took, you know, was totally wiped out. And the other two armies were pretty much decimated. And he came in with his fresh troops, cleared the battlefield and won everything. So, you know, but that happened, I think, in one of the War of the Roses battles, if I remember correctly, somebody didn't go in or did go in. Or something. I forget. I'll think back and research. Definitely sounds like the politics of the area.
1: Yeah. The era,
0: so. Yeah. No, that was one you we were talking about just before we went on. You were talking about something about uh turnips. Yeah. Um, so I've been watching a little bit of YouTube
1: and one of the podcasts on YouTube is called the Plastic Crap Podcast, where it's supposed to be about plastic, these this new um, era having these sprues of plastic miniatures you cut them out you build them you create your own armies of all your best varieties but it's all plastic but me i'm not a huge fan of the plastic because i like some if i want a 40 big, bigger bigger base i want a hat to it i want to be able to whack it at the dog and hurt the dog now, don't worry i'm not going to do <laughs> that but I, I just like the have behind it um for them one of the guys his name's steve he's been He's more into grim, dark and these uh, sci-fi elements, We're also into full action. But this thing that he's been following and building towards is called Turn of Twenty-Eight. A lot of you guys have probably heard about this so far because it's it's really getting steam. And uh, what you do is you take your screws that you haven't built yet or, or uh, extra screws that you just don't want to throw away, and you take all the uh, Napoleon on the or, napoleonic weapons and backpacks and maybe legs or trousers and then you put medieval helmets or arms or weapons on them um you can add like some some really weird cultish character faces to them like i think oathmark is the one that has some some weird cult character faces and zombies and then you put a little piece of tuft on the back spray it up as if they're infected and it's these map these groups of armies that worship turnips because it's set in a, a post apocalyptic future where uh, the only thing left to eat is this turnip and this turnip kind of like
0: turns you. So it's I'm, I'm just looking. It's Gardens of to put a note on this on the show notes? Yeah, it will be in the show notes
1: um, if you want to check this out. It's It's definitely interesting, and some of the artwork that these guys do, these miniatures, is just insane. It's cool. Um, I'm never going to personally do it, but seeing what they do, it's it's made me want to be a little inspired to do it. I just haven't gotten around to ever
0: buying miniatures just for that purpose. (laughs) It's definitely a funny concept, but again, it goes back to, you know, just using, I'd love to know where they got their inspiration probably a garden salad or something. Or looking at those sprues of all the stuff that you have left over that, you know, all the helmets and heads and things like that extra you may have from a set and doing something with them. Um, And there's, it's not really like um, anything
1: wrong in that universe, or that that world. Uh, So you can, you can let your mind loose and just create whatever comes (laughs) to the heart. That's
0: funny. That's funny. Yeah, they I just looked at the, uh, the link you sent me on the phone and that's uh, definitely some good quality work. The guys can paint that's for sure. So they look like they that I like the the guy in the, the surfs outfit, you know, looks like his medieval surf, but he's got a musket slung over his shoulder. Uh, that does well and the, it looks like they designed to be that way not just some, some random slap together. So they did a nice job, Mike. My, my, uh, my compliments to them. They're a lot better at it than I am.
1: Yeah, I think one of the most under-under um, under talked about or less talked about aspects of the hobby is the art. Because really, yeah. people are building things. Like, like sculpting a face is art. Um, building a miniature, whether it's somebody's already built something for you and you just kind of put it together, you keep building it and you painting it is actually artistic work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's really is inspiring whenever you see some of these people's work, especially with the all the media that we have now, like Twitter, and Facebook, and YouTube, uh, Instagram. I think my wife's even said, oh, there's more than me on TikTok. You should get on TikTok. <laughs>
0: no, I'm I'm not doing <laughs> it But it's out there. Do,
1: do your you figures
0: dance? Do they want to dance? dance so
1: play some funky jazz
0: music i'm not sure there you go uh now you know you talk about that being inspirational some of that to me is just depressing because i look at their you know i'll look at somebody who has a figure from a company and i have the exact same figure and i look at how i painted it now they painted it and i think why do i bother because some of these people are just so darn good it's not even Mm -hmm. funny Yeah. um yeah it's definitely one area you can't get
1: yourself down in yeah but you, you can at least learn. Um, it's a great way to learn, like um, I don't really talk to people about it, uh, about my painting and the way I do things, but I don't highlight at all. I'm, I'm super basic in that matter. I just saw some paint on, maybe put a shade on certain areas if it needs it, and then throw it out on the table because at, at three or four feet away, I'm not going to notice the difference between this little high raised piece of metal being highlighted or not. But there's been a few models that i thought about and I care about, um, like if, if they're from AD miniatures, <laughs> I'm gonna try and use some highlighting that people have inspired me to do. Right. And, uh, if I want, uh, this is, uh, Johan Sandels, if he's a, uh, a Swedish or Finnish bureaucrat or a Swedish bureaucrat, my bad. And I, w- I saw an AD model that I wanted to paint up as him. So I actually took my time. I drew inspiration from what I've seen on these videos. And I took the time to put the highlights on, so.
0: That's nice. I found that um, I just use shading and contrast paints uh, in shades. I, I block paint and shade. And that just, for me, that works. Um, but again, if I have a figure that I really like and I really want it to stand out on the on the battlefield and be different. Convince somebody else to paint it for me. So I mean, Riddick, who we've had on the show, he could paint like nothing else. My command figures for for the Bacchus game, uh, you know, for the I, we got a bunch of Adler. They're actually Adler uh, six millimeter figures, but they're all the commanders that are going to be on the generals and things for Leipzig. We're all done by Riddick, and they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. I could, and then when I look at what I've done. My block painting's fine. It's just I can't do that. I can't capture that that true artistry that some of the people can do out there. I just I think that's amazing. It's a talent that I don't have.
1: So when we do, do the entire battle, or through the Battle of Light Sleep, um, what you're saying is we're going to be pl- uh, playing up pictures of the entire battlefield, but a few close up shots just of the commanders?
0: Yes. Yes. OK. Yeah. Yeah, all the all the pictures will be taking from a you know three foot distance uh you know stand on a ladder and get the whole 10 by 12 table things like that so uh, our eight by 10 table excuse me i said 10 by 12 8 by 10.
1: well you said so, now
0: we have to go bigger yeah well yeah that may not be bad too bad but i'm using the base you know we're using a three inch base size and because we're using uh, uh, blue shirt of rules you know, the table has to be so many base sides across and that's how it's, you know, for, for to recreate that map because it's the old Melbourne board game club data and map and, 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 rosters that we're using for that. So again, you know, little plugs in for those guys. They've got some good scenarios. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely the old Melbourne board game group, like, they
1: have, they have helped with the pulling out board game with the sure, shirt because it's set all there in the package for you with these orders of battles the the battlefield layouts the entire scenario but yeah the work they've done is amazing i'm so glad they're able to share it online
0: yeah yeah they've actually started to ask for um, donations to cover the costs on doing it and i'll tell you what they're not asking nearly enough because the work they've done is first class all the way through again inspiring so Mm -hmm. but anyway I'm looking at the time. We've been chatting for a while. Um, I have to get up at 530 in the morning for work tomorrow. I know uh, you're a couple hours behind me, so you don't have to get up quite the same time. Uh, or it's not worse later for you. So I think we're going to have to probably wrap this one up. Um, I think what we're going to try to do, folks the listeners, is get ourselves back on a routine to do this. Um, and we are still, I have guests lined up, people who are interested in being on, on the show. Um, I think we need to ensure that we can be some sort of regular cadence to these to make it worthwhile to the folks that want to listen um, and what you know, want to help out. I do want to continue back up with game nights because I thought that was a pretty fun show um and get those back up plus we were able to donate money to charity which is another good cause i want to get that back on the road again but that said things have been very difficult last year uh, and you know hopefully we're rounding a corner soon and can get back into the swing of things but uh time will tell so so colin what's on the future for you for the next couple weeks anything anything you're going to get done or commit Um, to
1: Mostly, uh, my test is coming up. Uh, That's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the test to be a pilot. So once I'm through that, then I can go back to as much warm gaming as possible. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll bust out um, something I haven't touched in a while, get it get back on speed. <laughs> I think um, we
0: still need Russian infantry.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm looking at some Russian guard. Yeah. yeah, the Trinity of guard right in front of me. So. Uh.
0: Well, paint what makes you happy, but yeah, get that studies in, get that done, um, and do well on that. Uh, and folks listening, we'll try and get. I'll try and get this. Uh, we are now taping this on the twenty seventh of February. We'll try and get it out sometime in the first few days of March, um, and then we'll try and get a, a regular cadence going, and then getting back our, once we're the cadence going and all the bugs worked out we'll start bringing guests back in and making these things interesting hopefully um because i know you'll get bored hearing us ramble you're not already yeah well you should probably already be bored i wouldn't blame you one bit um we should probably take uh i think next time we do this O'Connell, we should take a hint out of war of the rocks their podcast um for those of you who don't know, War of the Rocks is a podcast. War on the Rocks is a podcast that talks about foreign affairs and uh, military strategies and the real life, not war gaming. Uh, really good podcast if you're interested in that type of subject matter. Uh, they don't produce frequently, but when they do come out with a show, it's an excellent show, very thought provoking discussions. Uh, but what they do, the War on the Rocks, and they do every show at the end of the show asking people what is their what what is their cocktail of choice and they encourage people to have cocktails while they're taping their show uh, so I think next time Colin we're gonna have to have a drink in front of us sit down and chat and plan it out don't worry I always have a drink in front of me <laughs> well what was that old uh line from I think it was weird on the events or something like that I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, My line is taken from Wild Keys, uh, right after I saw it. And uh, I want my liver to be buried separately with full (laughs) honors.
0: All right. Well, with that, we'll uh, we'll call it a night. So everybody take care and thank you for listening. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening to one of our less polished episodes. Before we sign off completely, however, I wanted to ask that each of you listening consider providing a donation to the people of Ukraine in their fight to save their country from potent aggression. As with any conflict, the trauma faced by the populace is severe and the people need help from the outside world. In our show notes, I've included a list of reputable charities that provide assistance to those impacted by this war. We would appreciate that you take the time and to make a donation of any size to either one of these charities or any of the other reputable charities out there supporting the people of Ukraine in their plight. Once again, thank you for listening. We look forward to the next time. And if you have any questions, comments, or thoughtful criticism, we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, we'll have the Ukrainian National Anthem play us out. Thank you.